Hey, good afternoon. Gabe DeArmond here on YouTube, the PowerMizzou.com channel, and this is the 573 Report because it's Wednesday and that's what we do on Wednesdays. The 573 Report is brought to you every week by 573 Tees. That is a local company here in Columbia, Missouri. You can get Mizzou gear, Cardinals gear. I hear they're doing well, uh, maybe better than Mizzou. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Eli Drinkwitz gear, pretty much anything you want. Uh, Columbia-related, Missouri-related. Check them out at 573tees.com or in person. They are in Alley A just off 9th Street in Columbia, Missouri. They are there uh, about six and a half days a week, I believe. So go uh, pay them a visit. Get outfitted for this weekend's game or any other weekend's game, 573 dot com is where you can check them out and now we are going to bring into the show mitchell 40 to uh ho who hopefully has some things to, things to talk about because uh i haven't really prepared a whole lot so uh mitch what do you got man i, I really don't excel in preparing for this show sure. you know, it's just one of those things I've, right. maybe someone will have a comment or two i don't know i can talk yeah. a little bit about the press conferences yesterday a little bit about tennessee although we were both just saying before we started that neither of us has actually watched tennessee play a snap this season so yeah. uh yeah steve Wilkes did joke with us yesterday i'm sure we watch a lot of film and i was like oh you know my excuse is that obviously i don't have a, access to all 22 otherwise i would right that was a rare lighthearted comment in what was not a particularly cheery Steve Wilkes press conference. We will uh, get to that briefly, but um, yeah, you know, nobody told me when I started doing internet TV that I was supposed to prepare for it. So <laughs> I guess, uh, Hey, I, well, I, there's no, there's really not many rules in internet okay. TV. Fortunately. So. Yeah. Um, so before we talk Steve Wilkes, let's uh, look, here's my goal for this show. Maybe we can match the uh, energy of Eli Drinkwitz at his press conference because We've been covering him for about a year and a half now, and he was as positive and upbeat and happy as I think I've seen him. And I don't want to say that was fake happiness because that would be, you know, not really a, a fair thing to say. But it, it very much struck me as a guy who came into the press conference saying, I'm going to be very upbeat and I'm going to be agreeable. And even like the questions that were somewhat critical, he was basically agreeing with even before he started to answer them. Yeah, I think, you know, I think probably his thought was, uh, I think people are probably obviously disappointed from that Boston College game. And I want to show that, you know, to the team and the fan base that this isn't the end of the world that, you know, yeah, it, it hurt. And, and he was fairly despondent after that game on right. Saturday. I mean, you know, it, it was pretty clear that one hurt. Um, and so, you know, that hurt to, to lose by, you know, by a touchdown in overtime on an interception, but we're moving on. Um, you know, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus. We're not going in different directions. There's no offense versus defense feud, even though there maybe could be, I mean, like no one would blame anyone. If right. Was on that. And, and, you know, I'm going to take the blame on myself and we're going to move forward. I think that was kind of the, uh, the message he pretty clearly wanted to con convey. Yeah. Well, it, like I thought last night, you know, who says there's no pointing fingers, the people who have reason to point fingers. I mean, that's, yes. you know, that's uh, you don't need to point that out if both sides are playing well. Um, but uh, he did say he did say on to Tennessee at least two, maybe three times in that press conference. It was uh, un-Belichick like in the way he said it, though. 
Yeah, he wasn't. He wasn't quite as grouchy, and you know, he didn't just snarl at us. He did actually answer our questions. Right, it, it would be different, and it answered them like beyond what I expected going in. I mean, uh, he was asked about you know his timeout usage, and at that point, like in the press conference, he was so honest and and so happy to answer everything that I just started asking questions that I was like well, hey, I'll take a shot. Maybe he'll answer this. And I asked him about not using Tyler Beatty on the last drive of, of two games and about Trajan Jeffcoat, who he gave the very politically correct answer about Trajan Jeffcoat, which is to say he did not say, yeah, I don't really know where he's been for the last three weeks of the season. Um, but I figured, hey, take a shot because he's answering everything else. Why not? Yeah, the, the clock management responses were, were really good and, and unlike, you know, what you would hear from a normal coach. So if, if anyone out there watching hasn't read my uh, notebook from this morning, got a few few different nuggets in there. But I thought, you know, that was definitely worthy of inclusion. If you were wondering about the, the strategy that went into the timeout usage, both at the end of the first and second half on Saturday, it's in there. And and the, the timeout stuff at the end of that BC game, like, we can bitch all we want, but they got to overtime. Like what right, he that's, did, that's regardless of anything yeah, else, what he did worked. Yes. No. Yeah. I think. I think that's more so. Yeah. Just it, it's something that gets talked about after every game. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's just you know one of those things. Oh, we lost, so I'm just gonna find everything to complain about. But yeah, no. It I it, it, it did not end up impacting the the outcome. Yeah. So I I, I want to uh, put up a question here, and I want to use it kind of to to get into a discussion. Uh, Scott Fitz says, uh, does Mizzou need to win three of the next four to have a good season? So the next three, I know are Tennessee, North Texas, A&M. What's immediately after A&M? Cause I know they have a bye week. I think it's Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. Um, in which case, oh, that's right. The yes. answer would be yes. Yes. Uh, so yeah. they have it basically in the next four, they have two guaranteed wins, right? The two guaranteed wins left on the schedule. And I use that term loosely are North Texas and Vanderbilt. So basically, do you have to either beat A&M or Tennessee to have a good season? Um, and before we get to that, I, I wanted to kind of use this as a way to jump into, you know, somebody asked me a, a question today about considering that they're playing poorly. And I said, well, I'm not sure they're playing poorly. I mean, they were a five-point underdog and lost by seven, and then they were a one-point favorite and lost in overtime. They're playing almost exactly as expected. The problem is expected by Vegas and, you know, uh, emotionally neutral people is not necessarily the same as expected by fans. Right, and and also, as we've touched about on here before, you know, just it just, I mean, they've been playing, I don't think they've been playing poorly, but because of one or two key plays, the results haven't been what you wanted. I mean, like, if, you know, Saturday's game goes the other way and Mizzou ends up winning that game, I mean, there you could point to several, any one play where that can change that. You don't probably have people saying, oh, Mizzou's playing poorly, this team is a disappointment. It's like, you know, it, it just shows the margin. So, yeah, I think that the results haven't been what you wanted. The defense hasn't been as good as you expected, but I don't think you can say, like, oh, I'm stunned at how bad this team is playing. They, I mean, I think most people would have said at the beginning of the season through four games, probably three and one, right? They are mm-hmm. two and two, and they're two plays from four and oh. Like, I, I think if you look at it, I mean, they probably should have won the Boston College game. I don't think anybody can say they should have won the Kentucky game. 
Yeah, I mean, the Kentucky game, the better team definitely won, but Mizzou gave itself a chance. Uh, the, the Boston College game, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, I, I kind of I, I kind of feel like on that day, Boston College was more meant to win. I mean, like, the, the environment was good, um, and Mizzou just, I mean, made more mistakes, right? You know, the two they lost the turnover margin. They, you know, couldn't tackle. I, I, I think that if those teams, like you've said before, though, if those teams played, you know, a 10-game home-and-home alternating series that each one wins five. Yeah, so it, they're maybe a little bit behind where you wanted – well, they're certainly behind where people wanted them to be, maybe a little bit behind where they should be. But to me now, it's like – now it's just kind of get to a bowl game. I mean, that's, yeah, and, that's and, the goal. Yeah, and circling back to Scott's question, I, I don't think right now, like we've just said, I don't think right now I'm going to go out and say like, oh, yeah, this has been a bad season. They've been no. underwhelming. If they lose to Tennessee, you start to have that conversation a little bit. And, and by no means does it become like fire anyone or panic. It just becomes like, oh, yeah, okay. We need to recalibrate where this team is in the rebuild. Yeah, and and again, this is we talked about this on Monday. I mean, it is exacerbated by the fact that Barry Odom and Trey Williams are key parts in a top-10 team. And that's why I think this game is so big because – if you lose to Tennessee, I mean, then you're looking at Josh Heupel in year one versus Eli Drinkwitz in year two, and he comes into Columbia and wins. And then you start to look at, hang on, is Missouri ahead of anybody except, you know, South Carolina and Vanderbilt in the, in the east? Yeah, that's true. And I, I do think we tend to compare too much. I mean, like everyone wants to say like, oh, look what this coach is doing in this situation. Look what this coach is doing in this situation. And like none of these situations are the same. I mean, like just the talent is different at Arkansas than it was at Missouri. And, you know, things are different at Tennessee. I mean, like they did get right in the transfer portal, but they've been recruiting a lot better than it had been here. And you could say, I'm sure there are other ways in which, you know, Eli Drinkwitz maybe took over a better situation than like, say, Mike Norvell or whatever. Although objectively, I mean, he's that's a disaster. I'm not. Right. I will not die on that hill. But what I'm trying to say is, like, and Eli Drinkwitz has touched on this a few times this season, like, be careful about the whole game of, like, comparing where you're at versus everyone else every week because it can change so often and not every situation is the same. And, and that does make sense, but the reality is you're going to be compared to the teams in your division. And oh, uh, sure, sure. you're behind Kentucky. Uh, you don't want to be behind Tennessee as well. So – this uh, another comment gives gives us a chance for for me to jump on a soapbox for a minute. And Garrett, who is, I I mean I give Garrett credit. He has committed to the bit. He has been anti Connor Basilak for a year and a half now, uh, but says I'm stunned there's still Basilak apologists. I I mean, Connor Basilak is not a perfect quarterback, but. I don't see how you could watch this team and say, all right, I'm going to list off the top 10 problems with this team, and Connor Basilak is in there, much less like the top one or two. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And and it's the the phenomenon you touched on earlier in the week with, you know, when you've got a team that has an issue that's so glaring, like Missouri's defense, you just, you, you expect that to be bad. And then you get mad at the other parts when they can't overcome it. And like, I get that it probably gets a little bit frustrating to watch Connor Basilak, you know, dump the ball off and take what the defense gives him all day, but he, he does a really good job at it. I mean, it's not like, it's not like he's putting up bad numbers because he can't right. throw downfield. And like, he's throwing for, he's thrown for over 300 yards yards what 
three times this season, all four games this season. I mean, he's, you know, he's yeah. he's thrown, three, what, ten touchdowns, something like mm-hmm. that. I mean, he's had a solid season. He got Mizzou down the field, you know, to, to with a chance against Kentucky. He got Mizzou back from a ten-point deficit and then, you know, got them to overtime against Boston College. Like, I don't know. Those things, like, I think that's above-average quarterback play in those instances. Well, and what I don't really understand is – we finally moved to a point where we understand that wins for a starting pitcher is stupid because it's yeah. well beyond his control. So why do we keep track of the record for a quarterback? I mean, do we keep track of a strong safeties record or a left guards record? You know, like what what's Xavier Delgado's record as a starter? Could you tell me? I, I could not. No, I. Uh, I mean, I assume yeah. it's the same as Connor Basilex, basically. But I mean that—that's my point. Is it is people involved in football will take ridiculous pride in telling you this is the ultimate team game, right? If we have twenty-two guys, and if twenty-one of them do their job, it's not going to work. We're going to get beat. But we judge one guy on what the result is, and. On Saturday, the only players that I would say were definitively better on Missouri's team than Connor Bazelak were Harrison Mevis and Sean Ketting. That's pretty much it. Yeah, Grant McKinnis had, had a couple nice punts, <laughs> and he got that penalty, so we'll throw him in there. All the kickers, giving the kickers some love. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I agree. And I, I think it, it, a couple things. I mean, one, obviously, the quarterback touches the ball every play. Like, if anyone notices the left guard, it's because he's, like, really bad. Um, <laughs> yeah, and and while you mentioned that, you know, coaches and people around football take pride in it being a team game, they also talk all the time about uh, winning's the only stat we care about. You know, our quarterback's a winner, blah, blah, blah. So I think that does get kind of, you know, makes that get put out there. But, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Um, I, I think that, you know, if Missouri's, if Missouri's defense gets that stop, uh, at the in the at the end of the fourth quarter, like they did against LSU last year, no one is having these conversations about Connor Bates. Like he may be, you know, in the running for SEC like offensive player of the week because obviously he doesn't have that second interception. I don't know what anyone and, else actually did, but like he had a solid game. Well, and the crazy part is, if Missouri gets that defensive stop, it actually takes away the best thing Connor Bates like did in that game, which is lead them That's forty true. yards downfield for a tying field goal and. Still, nobody is criticizing him. It's, uh, right. I don't know, uh, it, you know, it, it, whatever, I understand everybody's, but like I got three questions in my mailbag this week about Brady Cook and, and Tyler Macon. And look, I mean, if that's the road you want to go down, you don't want to have a grown-up conversation about football because Connor Bazelak is, is not the reason this team is losing games. So we got a couple right. other uh, – couple other questions in here. Uh, John wants to know, how is the Wilkes hire any different than the cross hire by Barry Odom? At least Barry panicked and turned it around. Um, Look, I don't know if the Steve Wilkes hire is going to work or not. I mean, I had some questions when it was made. It seemed a little bit weird and a little bit out of left field to me. By the way, we got a dislike vote on the show, so I guess somebody nice. didn't, didn't like our Connor Bazelak discussion. But um, That's fine. You all can disagree. Yeah, but don't dislike the show, man. Like, Just you know, just tell us you think we suck. Don't, don't hit the thumbs down button that, that does bad things on YouTube's algorithm. But, um, I I mean, it's look, it's a little early to decide that Steve Wilkes is, is not good enough and can't get the job done. Right. 
Yes. I mean, yeah, no, it, totally we, agree. we got to wait till uh, at least week five. We're only in week four. <laughs> Uh, so I wanted to actually first circle back to one thing about the backup quarterback thing, and that's just that overall, and you see it more with quarterback than any other position, but overall I've seen quite a few people act like, oh, well, you know, this season's already kind of lost. Like, let's just throw the young guys out there and see what they could do. And I do understand that when you get to the point where it's like, oh, gosh, we're playing for 6-6 six and six in the Independence Bowl, like no, no one's going to get that excited about the season, but like, Acting like the season is over when you're two and two is insane. I mean, right. if a coach what? actually did that, his whole team would trade. I mean, what so that's point, just not gonna happen. At what point in this season was Missouri realistically playing for like, you know, something better than the Music City Bowl? Right, exactly. Ever? And and if you're and if you thought they were playing for the SEC East before, why not still think that? Because they're still right. mathematically alive. So right. anyway, just wanted to get that out there. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, <laughs> I don't want to give Steve, Steve Wilkes a total free pass because, you know, while I do think the issue is mostly talent, it's Mizzou should not be last in the yes. country in run defense. Correct. It should not. It should not be whatever it is in, you know, one sixteenth or whatever in, in total defense. Like it should be better than that. But I still think the, the root of the issues are talent based. And, and I also do think that, you know, a, a team that's running a new scheme is just always going to get better as the year goes on. And now you would have hoped that it started from a spot right. other than, you know, as bad as possible. But like, I remember we even had someone tell us before the season, like you might look up in, you know, week seven, eight, nine or whatever and be like, oh, this defense is, is, is not bad. You know, they're starting to click. So I think that, you know, there's, I mean, yeah, like you said, I'm not saying he's going to be around forever. I'm not saying it's going to work here. I'm not absolving him of blame. I'm just saying, like, it would be uh, very premature to start getting the pitchforks out. But, yeah, the hope is in week seven, eight, and nine we are saying that because I think the discouraging part is there's no reason to say they're getting better. Like, this defense no. was no better at Boston College than it was against Central Michigan. No, you're 100% right. And I get, and yeah, that's, I, I definitely understand why that is concerning. I mean, you you watched another team just line up and pound the ball down the middle every single play. Yeah, I mean, like, that is that is definitely calls for alarm. I get it. I just think that, I, I just, I can't imagine they're going to end up last in the country at run defense. Right. I, I think that, you know, they'll... They'll, they'll probably get run over by Georgia. Yeah, probably, maybe even by Texas A&M and Florida. But, like, they're going to, you know, I think they'll figure out enough to make to be competitive with the other teams on the schedule. Well, and, and I think the, the interesting thing I thought out of what Drinkwood said on Tuesday was he kept talking about, you know, the main problem was communication. And he took the blame for that and whatever. Whether that's his fault or not, I don't really care. But um, – what that tells me is everybody who's been saying, I look at them and they look like they don't know where to line up and they don't know what they need to do. I mean, basically, that's what Drinkwitz was saying. Our issue is we need to figure out where we need to be and what we need to do on every snap. And I mean, that is concerning. And whether that's Steve Wilkes' fault or the players' fault or Eli Drinkwitz's fault or your fault, I don't really know. But I mean, you've been working on this system since March. If you haven't figured out by now where to stand, then there are probably some issues uh, beyond just they need better players. Yeah, I feel like it's not my fault. I mean, I hope not. I can't I mean, imagine how it would be, although it would be kind of wild if, like, you know, next week Steve Wilkes just came out there and started yelling at me. It's, um, it's <laughs> not out of the question. 
No, no. But uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I, I, I wasn't meant, you know, with my previous answer to just be, like, you know, peddling sunshine about this defense and saying they're going to get it turned around. Like, it, I don't expect it's ever going to be good this season. Yeah. Um, I, I, I do think it probably can improve a bit. But, yes, that is – it would be one thing if it's just guys getting blocked, and that is, I think, a big part of it. But it, it becomes, the talk about communication and knowing assignments is, is definitely a little bit troubling. Yeah. Um, all right. So now my concern with the is with the defensive line coach. Do you think Coach Franklin could be in jeopardy of getting fired? Look, I, I'm going to take great exception with Jethro Franklin being in trouble. He's my favorite assistant. I just watched his videos in camp and I love him. So, you know, I think he's doing a phenomenal job, regardless of whether the defense is good or not. Yeah, Poon Chun. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like, his unit hasn't been great for sure. But, one, I still, like, don't really know how much to put on in D-line versus second level versus, you know, defensive coordinator and, and, you know, all these different things. Like, clearly none of them are great, but I don't know really where we should put the majority of the blame. And, two, I just still can't imagine, you know, a coaching staff hiring hiring someone knowing like, okay, the talent level is probably not where we want to be. And then saying, well, the results still aren't where we want to be, even though we don't have the talent, you're fired. Like it could happen and it does happen occasionally with position coaches, especially, but it would just surprise me. If you fire a position coach after one year, like not even mid season, if he fires Steve Wilkes or Jethro Franklin, or are those the only two new coaches? I feel like I'm missing one maybe. Um, Fletcher in the Aaron secondary, Fletcher. I, right. I don't think he's got as much heat. Right. So if he were to fire one of these coaches after this season, that's on him. That means he made a bad hire and he screwed up and he is scapegoating a guy on his staff for the mistake he made. And I, you know, I, I just like, I don't want to let the fans get away with, well, I'm going to blame Jethro Franklin, but Eli Drinkwitz is still football Jesus. It doesn't work that way. He's the one that fired uh, Ryan Walter, fired, you know, whatever, how, however you term that. But he's the one that, that let Ryan Walters go. He's the one that let Brick Haley go. So if this doesn't work, that's on Eli Drinkwitz. And you, it's, it's disingenuous to say, I still believe in him, but that defensive line coach sure isn't any good. That, that, that doesn't work with me. Yeah. And, and I mean, like, you know, at a certain point, you definitely don't want a coach to just to, to say like, well, I can't fire this guy because I hired him. So it might look bad at me, but it's not working. So I'm just going to blindly stick with him. I mean, like, that's not a great solution either. But yes, I agree. You can't give Drinkwitz a total pass if you're that upset with the defense that you want heads to roll. Yeah. Um. So uh, Colby is asking any updates on when they'll start the indoor facility. Um, I don't know. I, I kind of think they've already started doing something, not like maybe like surveying or I don't really yeah. know. I mean, once I don't think it'll be ready for at least a year. Right. Once we get into the season, kind of all those other things, these are like off season things. Uh, and don't get me wrong. If I mean, I drive up and down Providence every day. If at some point I drive up there and suddenly the divine pavilion is not there, um, I'll report that. But, you know, um, like I, we don't really know. Uh, all right. Colby also wants to know over under on how many three and outs for Tennessee this weekend. I mean, I don't know. Let's set it at 2.5. I feel like that's a fair number that would, would get some bets on both sides. 
That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I mean, you got to think they'll have more drives than Boston College, and Boston College had two, so I'd probably take the over. I mean, like, Boston College only had, I think, like 10 possessions or something. Like, like Tennessee will have more than that. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. That's that's still, a, that's still a fair number. I mean, do you know the over-under on this game off the top of your head? I don't, no. I'm tempted to look that I, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that. I would take the over. <laughs> right. I would take the over almost no matter what it, uh, what it is, and I, I'm looking it up right now. But, I mean, like all this talk about, hey, what kind of stress is Josh Heupel's offense going to put on your defense? I mean, it's going to put the same amount of stress on Tennessee's defense that it puts on Missouri's defense. We've seen this in person. We we know what the pratfalls are here. And the over yeah. under the over under, by the way, is sixty five, which seems low to me. Yeah, it does seem a little low. I actually, so I was asking uh, one of the players we were interviewing yesterday, like on defense, you know, do you prefer? going up against like a super high fat, high tempo team like Tennessee or like a team like Boston college that keeps you on the field forever. And he gave the, you know, politically correct answer of like, Oh, I don't really care. But then Barrett Bannister chimed in and was like, I can tell you what I like. I like the one that gets us back on the field quickly. And I started thinking about it and I was like, yeah, I actually do think Mizzou is better suited to a game where both teams get a lot of possessions because they can't stop the other team no matter what. So at least if you give their offense more time to score and don't keep them off the field for, you know, 10 minutes at a time, they've got more of a chance. Yeah, and uh, look, I I think I mean this is this is a really interesting weekend to me because Josh Heupel brings in a team that they look better than Tennessee looked last year, but by no means is this a great program right now. I mean they've got some issues there. I mean their 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 leading tackler is a, a converted running back, I think, and you yeah. know that this is not a great team coming in. This is the first one. That if Missouri loses it, I'm kind of going to think, you know, you you really probably lost to a team you shouldn't have lost to. Agreed. I think the talent level was fairly similar between Mizzou and Kentucky and Mizzou and Boston College. And Kentucky probably Kentucky was better over Missouri. Yeah. But I, I think if in this one, I think if they lose, it would be like, well, you got out-schemed. You got out-gimmicked, you know, by, by Heupel's deal. I, 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 I could be wrong. I have not, like, literally, I've not actually watched Tennessee play this season, so you should probably but, really ignore everything I say. But, yeah, I, I do But agree. we I know what a way. Josh Heupel offense looks like. I mean, Exactly. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I think, I think a big key for Missouri is, like, yes, they're going to score, and they're going to put points on the board. I think if you can create just enough, like, timely negative plays, like we saw last week, when Mizzou was able to get three and out, they got a they got a first down stop, and then they they you know blitzed and caused an incompletion and put them in third and long or whatever. If they can do that just enough, I like their chances because then you put Tennessee in that position where they have one of those seventeen second three and outs, right. and you know you can control the ball a little more with your offense. And it it, it truly is it's one play on defense, and it's the first down mm-hmm. play because yeah. I mean, the difference between even something as simple as a three-yard run that puts you in second and seven versus a two-yard loss that puts you in second and 12, it changes absolutely everything. And it's why, if I'm facing Missouri, any offensive coordinator that throws the ball on first down should immediately be fired. Like, before the next series should be fired because Missouri has proven no ability to put you in second and 12 if you just hand the ball off and run up the middle. I'm a huge fan of us saying, like, yeah, no, Steve Wilkes shouldn't be fired. Jethro Franklin shouldn't be fired. But, but at one bad play call, you're gone. You're gone. <laughs> but, I mean, it's so – like, 
it's not it's not some complex thing. They are giving up literally 270 yards a game on the ground. Why would you ever throw on first down? I agree. I agree. I'm just saying that was a funny dichotomy there. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Fire Steve Wilkes too if you want. It's fine with me. I just uh, it, I I have an issue with watching offensive coaches trying to outsmart themselves when you don't really have to. All you've got to do against this team right now is hand the ball off until they prove that that they can actually stop you doing it. Um, all right, so, I mean, this is kind of the theme of the week. We're going to continue on the defense. John wants to know, except for Bolton, why is the defensive talent so much lower? And, like, that's a fair question. I feel like we are airing a little too much on, well, they just don't have enough guys. I mean, like you said, it's okay that they're not great, but it's not really okay that they're this bad. Yeah, I would say a couple of things. One, um, you know, I don't think the talent is that much lower than it was during the end of last season. I mean, the end of last season, they were getting torched. Bolton was hurt. They had a few guys out with, you know, contact tracing and injuries, and the defense was terrible. And everyone was like, oh, my gosh, Ryan Walters is the worst coordinator ever. And I, I did try to say, I will, you know, say, I, I try to say, like, He's playing quarterbacks and wide receivers in the defensive backfield. He's playing Drake well, Heismeyer, a defensive by, tackle. Like, by I, the way, that, quarter, is that quarterback like, is like their second best DB right now. So Yeah, by the way, both of those two guys now start. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> clearly they didn't exactly address those issues over the offseason. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like, it, I don't think it's all that much lower. They did lose Tyree Gillespie and Josh Bledsoe and Trey Williams, who are obviously – and I don't think – I think it's fair to say the replacements haven't been as good other than maybe Carlisle for Gillespie, although he, you know, he, he lacks probably the consistency but yeah I don't I I think my answer would be I don't think it's it's all that much lower than it was last season that's maybe a little bit problematic and, and because you know it shows the the guys you got out of the transfer portal and out of the junior college ranks are, are really not panning out and it shows that some of the guys like this is my problem all the time in and, and it's not just football it's every sport every fan of a team just assumes that every player on their team is going to get better every year. Progress is not linear. Trajan Jeffcoat is not guaranteed to be a better player this year than he was last year. Oh, by the way, he's worse right now. Kobe Whiteside is a worse player than he was two years ago. I, I mean, I'm not talking, I don't know, I don't see day-to-day, -day, but production-wise, worse player. Um, it, you know, it, Devin Nicholson is a worse player than he was last year playing next to Nick Bolton. I mean, I I would argue maybe Ennis Rakestraw is has been worse than he was last year. Like, so we just go into a season saying, okay, well, we've got seven guys coming back and they're all seven automatically better. Well, that's faulty logic on our part. That's not true. It's never been true. Right. And like you talk about, you know, the sixth year, fifth year seniors, the COVID year guys, like, Every team's bringing back those guys, and some of them are. Yep. I mean, like the ones Arkansas brought back, I guess, are, are better than the ones Missouri brought back. Like it just, it doesn't guarantee. It's not like something that's unique, a unique advantage to Missouri. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. We spent thirty-five minutes. Did we solve Missouri's defense? Did that? Did that happen? I, I, we probably made everyone feel worse. We said, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. They're not very talented, but they're also not going to fire the guys you want to fire. So get right. used to it. I mean, I did not see a comment from Steve Wilkes, so he is apparently not taking our suggestions on this show. He should be a practice. I would, I would guess he's at practice right now. So yeah, he'll I'm sure he'll catch up later. Then. He's an avid viewer. <laughs> right. Seems like a better use of his time to be at practice. But we do put these up on replay, so. Oh, hey, Steve, 
catch up later, man. Shout us out. Give us a like on YouTube. Tweet us. You know, it'll all work out. So, Shout all right. Five, seven, three T's. Exactly. So, uh, I don't know, Mitch. We'll see you in about an hour and a half, and we'll sit in the media room for an hour and a half after that. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. <laughs> all right. Uh, we're going to let Mitch go. I uh, want to remind you one more time. He gave you the pre-tease, but please do shop at 573 T's. You can find them downtown Columbia in a physical location on Alley A, just between 9th and 10th Street, or you can find them online at 573-TEES.com. No better time, by the way, to get your thicker kicker merchandise from uh, 573-TEES. Harrison Mevis, the momentary hero of last last week's game didn't turn out for him but uh they they do some stuff with uh individual Missouri players they also do a lot of team stuff uh they've been a partner of ours for a couple years now and just ask you guys to hey if you want some Mizzou gear if you want something to uh you want a t-shirt to wear go give them a shot check out their site first 573tees.com if they don't have what you want hey go somewhere else but I think you'll probably be able to find what you want and uh they can do they do a lot of custom stuff they've done some power mizzou stuff check that out at 573tees.com slash collection slash power mizzou you could uh buy a site t-shirt and rep us out in public and we would greatly appreciate that we appreciate you watching before you log off do hit that like button uh hit the subscribe button on the channel we'll put the podcast up here in the next half hour or so if you're listening on the podcast please give the podcast a five-star review and tell everyone how wonderful it was and join us tomorrow when we're going to talk to brent hubs of volquest.com and preview the Tennessee Volunteers and then on Friday afternoon we will have a uh, special guest a familiar face on our uh, Master Tech Picks show on Friday afternoon so thanks for hanging out with us and we will catch up later on